Hello and welcome. To... Oh, god damn it! <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Q and A Quest episode one hundred and fifty-two. I'm your plague-ridden host, Mike Apps, aka Wheels, and with me as always, engaging in a battle with monsters from beyond space and time, Vampire Master David McBurney. And here in Japan, living with toddlers. Yay, toddlers! Our Which two I'm jobs in one. In this case. Yeah. Okay. Listen, I'm still playing Super Robot Wars, and I have to conclude the Gunbuster plot eventually, and that involves a lot of monsters from beyond space and time. Nice. No Wizards of Speed and Time? No, no. I was singing that for unrelated reasons. Just because it's a, an interesting thing to suddenly remember off the top of your head. Yeah, I have a friend who apparently, like... <laughs> Every child had of a certain generation had like a handful of VHS tapes, which included at least one thing that was probably recorded off of TV and that no one else had ever seen. Apparently, that was theirs. <laughs> well, I mean, the only the main reason I saw it was, I think I was down with the flu when I was eight or nine years old, and it was one of the several very random movies that my parents pulled off of the science fiction and fantasy section of Blockbuster for me. That would be a very strange thing to watch with the flu, especially once you get to the actual segment that the entire movie is built around, because it's just someone showing off how good they can stop motion. Also, I thought it was hilarious. It was it was much better than, what was it, um, The Dungeon Master? Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Oy. Uh, which was another movie of that set um, from that incident. You must have yeah. had a very strange time. That was childhood. Uh, but, um, but it did mean that several years later when I was reading an um, an issue of the Ghostbusters comic book, I actually got one of the jokes. <laughs> so Because they actually referenced the Wizard of Speed and Time at one, um, in one of the comic books. <sighs> <sighs> well, we're off to the races, aren't we? Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, but thankfully, unlike last episode, we have questions, so you don't have to live with uh, whatever the hell other level I was on that time. We do, and I even went to a gaming convention, but I have nothing actually nothing to talk about from it, really. <laughs> wow. Yeah, right. Embargoes. Okay, well, Embargoes. Well then, you know I, think, I think there was one question that we could just skip to immediately then. <laughs> Um, let's see, um, oh, let's see, da, da, da. okay, from Crawl, um, how far do you think Square Enix can stretch out this Final Fantasy VII remake? <sighs> I'm sure part one will do extremely well in sales terms, at least, but isn't there a decreasing return on sequels that attempt to continue a single story? Uh, I don't know that I believe that, actually. <laughs> well, I mean, you can kind of see that in things that I've done it in the past, like, Xenosaga was supposed to be, what, six episodes and they had to conclude at three because they just couldn't keep it going? Well, Xenosaga is a weirder thing because it's supposed... Like, the six-episode things does not refer to what they were doing when they actually made it. The six-episode no, thing... I'm, I'm not talking about Xenogears, which no, was, like, I know. episode four of six. I was like, Xenosaga, I thought it was actually plotted for six. Well, they're... That's more complicated because, like, episode four of, like, the... 
The official story I always heard was that Xenosaga that we got was supposed to be if Xenosaga if Xenogears is like four or five of six, Xenosaga that we got was supposed to be episode like two of six. And that was also only supposed to be one game that somehow ballooned into three. So confused. Also, episode one was apparently the opening cutscene of Xenosaga episode one, so Yeah. What? So I mean I mean, the answer is that there was no actual long-term plan. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, then very similar to Star Wars then. Okay. Yeah. Uh, As for that, like, I mean, like, part of the advantage that Final Fantasy VII has is that it does, at the very least, know where it's going. (laughs) Yeah, that's the point I was going to get to in a bit, is that, I mean, everybody knows, everybody who's going to get the remake probably knows the basics of the story i mean the the button for the spoiler tags on our old forums was a <laughs> like a sprite version of the biggest spoiler in that game right there um so um, um i was going to go into some of the series that actually did succeed in this but i think the thing final fantasy 7 has really different is that we do know where the story is going yeah. exactly where it's going um, we can probably guess where the cutoff points will be for each episode, and the bigger question is, what else will they stuff in there before each point? Yeah, and like that's, what will they change? Like that's one of the big well, questions that's kind of sitting there right now. Because they just apparently confirmed today that Red Thirteen is not a full party member; he's just a guest, which raises the question of so how? When it, it it raises the question of. Does that mean that the Shinra building is the climax of the game? Because if that's the case, it means that we've seen basically nothing of the middle. We have only seen bits from the beginning and end of the game. I mean, I thought we'd seen like the Honeybee Inn and the We have. Trailers. But I'm saying that like we know that they're expanding it. We know that this game is somehow two Blu-ray discs of content. Jesus uh, Christ. We know <laughs> so that it's going to be a lot of game. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Which means that, like, from that, we've seen, like, I feel like they've been very specifically attempting to avoid showing anything that's new, other than a handful of implications. Like, they're very specifically trying to focus on, here's all the old stuff that you're seeing in HD, let's not look at what's new, because that's supposed to be the surprise. (laughs) Which does make sense, considering what they're selling. Yeah, like, the new content will be very interesting, in part because it's so... They've been so guarded about showing any of it. The only thing they've really shown is, like, one of the new villain factions, v- vaguely and briefly, and, like, that soldier second class or whatever that's chasing you or uh, at some point in some of the trailers. So... But, yeah, like, I think the... the when... The, the point where a series of games continuing the same story hits diminishing returns is the point where the audience no longer believes that it will conclude in a satisfactory fashion. So, like, oftentimes that's actually the ending. When the ending actually happens and it stops, <laughs> it stops working, like, you know, the plates all fall off the... Yeah, you know, they stop spinning and it all falls down. But, like, again... when Mass you, Effect. Yeah, Mass Effect is definitely the thing that was in my mind, but I was also thinking of something like... Game of Thrones? There was, 
Yes, yes. I can we can we could be here all day naming things from multiple forms of media, but basically like people will continue as long as they are willing to believe that the end point will be satisfying on some level. The biggest question is FF I, I, weirdly enough, FF7's ending originally was super controversial and weird, and I'm curious if it stays that way. Mm. Because I remember getting that the first time, and the way that that concludes is bizarre. Super ambiguous, too. Very ambiguous. Uh, Notably, one one but not all of the writers on the original version proclaimed that uh, the happy ending of FF7 is that humans are gone. (laughs) (laughs) But then, like... So we we should just forget that Advent Children was ever a thing, right? Uh, no, he said that in the process of writing FF7. He was saying that he did not think that Advent Children actually invalidated that reading. He felt that, like, it's... So, this is... We're just gonna hit the real abstract of it. FF7 and... FF7's epilogue is a 500 years later, like, cutscene that shows, like, a bunch of, like, Red 13-style lion dudes running around, like, the decrepit remains of Midgar. Um, I uh, thought it was actually—I thought it actually was Red Thirteen and his kids. It may very well be Red Thirteen because they yeah. lived for for freaking forever. So, I—I I, I just remember actually getting into a discussion with somebody at college about twenty, literally twenty years ago on this, and I'm thinking, okay, so we've got a meteor, or a, a very large meteor descending on the city. We have, have um, the holy magic completely prevent, um, ke- or completely failing to prevent it, and then we have the essence of the planet itself rushing in to deflect it, and there's still enough of the city left over to be recognizable. Whatever may have killed humanity in the scenario, it was not the meteor. Yeah, like, it might have been disasters caused by the consequence of the meteor, but the meteor would not have immediately destroyed humanity in that case. The meteor failed to completely destroy the city. Yeah. Granted, the city was also the, like, center of infrastructure for the entire planet, but yeah. But yeah, um, I mean, if you completely abandoned New York City now, 500 years later, you wouldn't see it. Yeah, probably. There's, There's a lot of questions left by that, and it's definitely an ambiguous ending by intent. Oh yeah, I mean, that was largely the style of anime in the 1990s to begin with. Oh, absolutely. Uh, like, I mean... <coughs> Evie <it, Gallion. coughs> yeah. yeah, well, I mean, Ava also had just Anno failing to turn in scripts on time, but... Yeah, like, it was... Which was the style of the time? <laughs> but yeah, I, I'm curious... Like when we're seven, when we're three, four, five games in, whether they decide to go with that ending, if they make it less ambiguous, if they change what it's ambiguous about, there's uh, there's a lot of options open here in the intervening probably decade and a half. <laughs> they could randomly mm-hmm. remake Crisis Crisis Core in the middle of all this. Uh, I Why feel not? like that would be assigned to a different team. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, mm. Apparently, the demo people have found at least one reference specifically to Crisis Core. Interesting. But there was, there, uh, there was already t- one big story change in the demo. 
Oh, I believe it. Uh, for the better or for the worse? Um, I would imagine depends on how it plays out. <laughs> well, do you want me to discuss it? The demo is public, so we can. Okay, probably so. Uh, at the end of the demo, which ends with like the first boss fight after you set up the bomb and everything, uh, the bomb goes off and it doesn't really do anything, do too much. It doesn't do enough damage to actually take down the reactor. Right, and then oh, I heard, I read a comment about this something about false flag attack. Yes, and then you see, then there's people in Shinra's offices and we're watching them the whole time that then cause it to explode. Interesting. That's making... That seems in part to be deflecting... Like, there is, a, of course, in the original game, a point where it's brought up that, like, their choice to do... Th- like, their choice to do this is brought up later as, like, you you killed thousands and thousands of people even without Shinra's help just by denying power to places like hospitals. Right. And that might be considered a attempt to deflect blame from the protagonists for the death of thousands, but at the same time, like you also still have to remember that it was totally their intention to do that. Yeah. So Yeah. Well, I'm also remembering if I remember correctly, later on in the original game, they basically let them walk in and blow up a reactor, right? As a um... trap. Something there is like a point that. where they kind of accept that that loss is going to happen because, like, you do have that fight that ends up separating Cloud Barrett and Tifa because of the when we've seen that boss fight show up a few times. So, yeah. like, the answer is that they're going to keep trying to do it anyway. I'm curious, like, if they re- if they do more reactor set pieces since we're supposed to see more of Midgar. And there's there's a lot of options here. Yeah. But I do like the... There is something I like about that, which is the increased emphasis on Shinra itself, because the story doesn't forget about it, but it backgrounds Shinra pretty much immediately once Midgar goes away. Yeah. yeah. Which is a shame, because they're a very interesting uh, faction to have to deal with. So I would hope that if they... That's one change I would like to see the remake do, is to foreground their like not necessarily always have them in control but make them still a foreground villain which seems like something that they might pursue just because sephiroth can't be a foreground villain for four games right. <laughs> mm-hmm. so also the question is how much of the alternative backstory from later games will be in there to fill this up i guess they have spoken about this a bit uh, the claim that they made pre-release was essentially that there is no obligation for FF7 Remake to consider something canon just because it happened in the compilation. They will be picking and choosing bits from the compilation to include, but they don't feel like the compilation itself is not canon. Only things they choose to reference are. Okay. In other words, they want to head off any massive arguments from the fan base ahead of time. Yeah, basically. And I mean, like, that's it's healthier this way. Since they're making changes to the original game, they can't very well... Like, even if you like bits of the compilation, you can't very well tie them to a core game that is changing. So, 
in conclusion, before crisis may very well be on the chopping block. But what about my shooty mm-hmm. game? Man, they were never going to touch anything about Dirge of Cerberus again. <laughs> I, I can't believe you chose to make that joke after I decided to reference the Japan-only Turks game. <laughs> Man, remember that? That was weird. Japan-only, cell phone-only Turks game. There's a lot of weird Final Fantasy stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, not just Final Fantasy, but... Uh, yeah, yes. yeah. Uh, I, I still remember playing a cell phone-only um, Persona 3 spin-off game. Oh, it was set heavens. during the summer vacation. Dream time, um, a dream... Um, what was it? Dream Labyrinth, I think it was. Man, I've never even heard of that. It was not very good and very hard to control. Yeah, that sounds like uh, a lot of cell phone spinoffs. Yeah, as for... So, yeah, I think that they have more to bank on in terms of the long-term structure of FF7 Remake just because they have roadmap that they can deviate from but that they must always eventually return to mm. mm-hmm. there are there is a part of me that hopes that they will that they will move when Aerith dies I want them to mm. I want to reach the point where she dies originally and have nothing happen and then like a game later out of nowhere gut punch that would be <laughs> cool Oh, so they spell it with the TH in this one? Yeah, the the official, ever since like Kingdom Hearts 1, the official has been with the TH. Okay. But, and there's yeah. been much wailing and gnashing of teeth. Of course. Yeah. No, no, I've been, it's, it has been, it's weird because it's been officially Aerith for so much longer than it was ever Aerith. It's insane. But eh, they... They're never willing to go back and re-edit. Whenever they re-release FF7, they're never willing to go back and re-edit it to change her name. So anytime someone goes back to play it, that's what they get. Wonderful. Well, that would take too much effort to do. That'd be silly. Deeply silly. But, let's see. We might as well hit the other part of Carl's question. Uh... Where do you see Square going next with the inevitable Final Fantasy 16? Going back to the well or ripping up the rulebook? Uh, what do you want from the next entry? I don't think there's enough of a rulebook to rip up at this point. I feel like going back to the well is making a completely different divergent take from the last one. I mean, that's kind of what the series is about. Yeah. We're not talking Dragon Quest here. Yeah. yeah. It's just one of those things like, I mean, 13, 14, and 15 all have basically nothing in common. <laughs> I would imagine that 16 is probably being headed up by Motomo Toriyama at this point. Yeah, I mean, Which you, is possibly good or possibly bad. It's, it's funny. You have to go all the way back to 11, like stretch it from 15 to 11 to even find two games that have anything remotely in common, which would be two of them are MMOs. That's and even it. those aren't very similar. Yeah, because one's a terrible MMO and one's a really good one. I can't tell the and difference. One, one has been both. <laughs> 
Yeah, we're actually looking at essentially three different MMOs, one of which claims to be the other one, but... Yeah, I can't tell the difference. I don't like MMOs. Uh, let's see. But yeah, I feel like for good and ill, you are likely to see something that has Motomo Toriyama's fingerprints on it. Aside from the Honeybee Inn? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, uh, mostly because at this point, like... I don't know how they've reorged the 15 team since uh, Hajime Tabata like vanished into a puff of smoke. <laughs> I vanish. Uh, basically. They set up an entire studio seemingly with the sole intent of retaining him and that did not work. <laughs> but yeah. So 16, no prognostications other than I don't know. Uh, based on 10, 2, and 13, might have a lady protagonist. That'd be cool. Mm -hmm. That's about the closest thing I would say to a likely bet if we're dealing with Motomu Toriyama. So, hoping to hoping that they actually go back to that demo for, um, what was it, Agni's Philosophy? Oh, man. That Did was something with that. 2014 like that was a real early this gen yeah that was a long time ago and it looked really awesome still it was a neat idea like it would i could see aspects of it getting folded into whatever ff16 is but it's been quite some time so at this point you would probably only be able to whatever came out of it you would probably only be able to tell because someone in an interview mentioned that it had been uh, considered while they were making it. <laughs> I think it was also technically a Luminous Studio tech demo, which, oh. oh boy, there aren't a lot of games that run in that. What does run in that? Uh, FF15. That's it? <laughs> okay. I believe that might be it. Uh, well, hey, that's a... If you're going to do one game with an engine, that's a pretty good one. Yeah, uh, it's, it continues freaking... Square's tendency to think that they can make game engines and then realizing that it's really hard. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's why everyone uses Unreal and Unity uh, Square. That's why F I believe FF7 Remake uses <laughs> Unreal. Yeah. Like, that was... It, originally, uh, both of them were supposed... Both FF7 Remake and Kingdom Hearts 3 were supposed to be in Luminous Studio. I presume because of internal studio pressures about using it. But fairly early on, they basically just uh, they scrapped that and had to like delay Kingdom Hearts another freaking six months well, because of that. If only EA had done that with their stupid engine. Wait, what? Oh, Frostbite. Yeah. Just, just, just pay pay for an Unreal license, or like pay the royalties. It, it will pay dividends. They they let um. Uh, what they went respawn do it for uh, Apex and I think even uh, Star Wars. I don't think either of those use Frostbite. Yeah, yeah. I think both of those use like their heavily customized version of Source. Something like that. But yeah. So the full list of things that actually use Luminous Studio, Agni's Philosophy, and something called Witch Chapter Zero, which is another tech demo that 
has shown up on nothing. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, it's a tech demo, but like in a, the stupidest possible sense, because it's like, it's a tech demo that uses, that renders 63 million polygons per frame and uses 8K by 8K resolution textures, AKA something that actually can't run on a commercial machine. <laughs> Of anything. Uh, whoops. <laughs> Definitely whoops there. I was wondering. Ah, bollocks. I was wondering why I couldn't hear anyone, and then I realized I pulled my headphones out. Whoops. <laughs> but yeah, you know, just let's make a tech demo of, well, we'll make a weird looking thing, and it won't be. It won't even look like it's in the neighborhood of running on any commercial machine whatsoever. They took a they made it they took a year to make that tech demo. What? <laughs> oh, late ops to early Thames Square. What were you doing with your time and money? Smoking <sighs> it. Yeah, apparently. Uh yeah, I'm not even sure if Luminous Productions, the Tabata studio, even still exists. Apparently, they were officially charged with porting Final Fantasy 15 to Stadia. Oh, vomit. <laughs> Just all those trombone noises. Well, hey, Final Fantasy 15 is sitting around 8.9 million, so, you know, with the Stadia, maybe they can hit 8.9001 million. That's 8.901. So you're you're betting on a whole thousand copies of that? Oh, oh crap, that's way more than I did. <laughs> it might be only like 100, maybe. Okay, there we go, that's... That's about yeah, I'm trying to work out how that does in my head, and it's just not happening. But yeah, oh man, oh man, I was having a great time. So this is off topic, but there was a Business Insider uh, article a few days ago that was just like someone getting hold of developers with the simple question of like, so why aren't you supporting Stadia? And it was incredible because one of the poll quotes from it was that the idea of this thing might just suddenly not exist sometime in the next year was brought up by literally everyone they interviewed unprompted. <laughs> <laughs> wow. It's powerful, incredible. Yep. Uh, <laughs> there was also, there was a bunch of other like really damning statements uh, there. One of my favorites was that they apparently approached I don't know if they said what indie dev it was. I assumed it was the Shovel Knight developers or someone. But it was basically like, yeah, they approached us. And they basically offered us nothing. They just said, put it on there. And we said no. <laughs> <laughs> like, there was no attempt to financially incentivize the idea of bringing your game to Stadia. Wow. I assumed that they opened their pockets for a handful of larger developers. Like, I assume that they didn't get Rockstar putting Red Dead Redemption 2 on there without opening their pocketbook. I assume that they didn't get Final Fantasy 15 without pouring some money out. But, like, it seems like for indie developers, they just said, do it. And most indie developers responded with, no. 
but yeah. So a bit of a sidetrack, but uh, every episode could use a little bit of comedy. It's true. Stadia but, yeah. is uh, perfect for that too. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's just every time it's just a clown slipping on a banana peel into a rake. <laughs> but yeah, so yeah, Final Fantasy sixteen probably will use bits and pieces of one or both of those tech demos, I hope, because otherwise I have no idea what the unearthly hell that Square was using that time and money for. Well, they seem to like throwing money away, so it could just be that. I love just burning it. Just <laughs> toss it in the trash. But, yeah. Well, hey... Uh, between FF14 and 7 Remake, they're probably set for the next year. So. You know what they could do? You know, we have video game movies seem to be, you know, doing a little better. So maybe it's time they, for The Spirits Within 2. They just did another Final Fantasy movie three years ago, and no human being has seen it. I watched it. <laughs> Kingslave isn't even I, bad. It's just I, like, I liked it. <laughs> like I said, Kingslave isn't even bad. It's just like no one watched it. Yeah, it's true. But yeah, I mean, like, now's the time, but I don't trust them to get out of their own way to do it. <laughs> Man, nothing will ever top for, like, actual, like, tripping over your own dick hilarity as, like, the plans that they laid out about how they were going to repurpose the Aki oh, Ross man. character model in dozens of movies. Remember that? Yeah. Yeah, I remember a lot about that movie. She was going to be a digital actress. Going to show up in other movies. Square Pictures was going to make tons of movies. (sighs) So so that that worked out, and that's why we're currently on uh, Agni's Philosophy, the movie. Yay. Which came out, you know, two years ago to rave reviews. And we're all just waiting for the next one. Square Pictures strong, growing strong and healthy. Okay, uh, I apologize for the Minmo joke. Um, let's see. Uh, hit up some of these questions. Maybe hit the only one that we got on 150. Uh, <laughs> ah, it's another from Kroll, and it's for me! Great episode. For some reason, I want to ask about the wildest bootleg games you can come across. Are any of them good? No, none of them are good. Uh, (laughs) They're not really produced in an environment that allows them to be good. There are some that are honestly, like, especially when you get back to, like, NES ones, like, well, this isn't actually much worse than what, like, Hot B was putting out on the Famicom, but you don't know who Hot B is, and that's for the best. Who's Hot B? Hoppy was a company that made a lot of very low-quality Famicom software. Uh, I think some of it might have come out here. Like, the one that's coming to mind isn't even anywhere near their worst. Because uh, the one that's coming to mind is the Black Bass, which is just a, just, it's just a fishing game. But, uh, let's see. Oh, they made Hoshio Miruhito. Which, uh, if you look at the stars, 
you would probably have at least heard of Hoshio Mirohito, even if you haven't actually played it. Uh, Hoshio Mirohito is like an RPG that looks like its tile set hasn't been implemented correctly. Huh. Okay. This is it's an RPG that doesn't display numbers properly, so the ones place is always cut off. Uh-huh. If you get into a sub menu, you can't actually leave it. So if you choose to do if you tra- choose to use an item and you dis- think better of it, you can't go back. Huh? You just sort of have to <laughs> pick something it's like look at it for like 10 seconds and you'll understand why it has a reputation as one of the worst famicom games ever produced and honestly like some of the bootleg games i've seen are probably better than that anyway that's the point i'm making is that like those those bootleg games are bad they're all bad there's basically there's probably some decent ones but there's no quality control on them because that's not the point yeah. But I do appreciate when someone takes a normal game and just, like, packages it badly. Uh, one of my favorite things, like, a decade and a half ago, there was floating around. I think I've rambled about this before, but it's so funny. There was a screenshot floating around from, like, a Russian game store that just had a box labeled Secret Agent Royal Jew. okay that sounded amazing people really wanted to find out what it was and then eventually someone tracked it down and it was you're like this this really just takes the bloom off the rose immediately when they found it and tracked it down it was barbie secret agent the royal jewels (laughs) packaged badly (laughs) oh so it sounded amazing. That's wonderful. Uh, there's there's a lot of really funny uh, bootleg games that are just like uh, we have access. We we don't care about uh, using uh, other people's copyrights. So here's Virtual Fighter versus Tekken Two. Uh, it's for the it's for the Sega Genesis now, and it looks and plays horribly because. If you heard any part of that sentence, you already know why. Um, but yeah, like there's the thing that's most fascinating about them is just finding like the handful that's like someone wanted to make something. It didn't work, but because mm-hmm. of the framework they had to work in, but someone someone cared about this. <laughs> but then it gets buried under a cavalcade of Sonic Three Fighter Sonic, and. Uh, Prince Banana 2. That's not a Donkey Kong game somehow. Oh. There is, uh, that... Which... Which, uh... Oh, man. What arbitrary numeral did they slap on top of that? Because there's one that has, like, an insane subtitle of, like, The Journey Over Space and Time. (laughs) Mm Hmm? It's like Donkey Kong 6, The Journey of Over Space and Time. Don't know. I, I still haven't looked through all of the random hacked items on that Famicom emulator thing I've got. Think of what you could have. 
Okay, don't um, several games labeled Super Mario Brothers that don't have anything to do with the game or with the series. Yeah, those are always good. Okay, it's Donkey Kong Five: The Journey of Over Space and Time. So okay, not recommended. Very bad. Entirely custom game, seemingly, but you know, not good. Uh, it's yeah. Um, and that's that's kind of all of these. After a while, like you're just looking at how busted they are. Uh, but yeah, there, it's a good time to go look at when you're bored to look up Mortal Kombat Special Fifty Six People's Edition. So. <laughs> I believe that's technically a bootleg of Ultimate Mortal Kombat Three, but it just like reuses a bunch of the ninjas and repallets them over and over. So, basically an official Mortal Kombat game. <laughs> uh, and yeah, and the, the now, irony... Ninjas. So many ninjas. But, yeah, I think the the irony ends up being that I keep referencing Samari, and that one's actually relatively impressive. <laughs> It is a reasonable attempt to approximate the sonic physics by a team of people who are probably being paid very poorly uh, for the Famicom, a system that was manifestly not meant to do that. And the fact that it gets even as close as it does is honestly kind of impressive. (laughs) Yeah, I'm sad to say I'm not very familiar with the hacking scene at all. I mean, mostly watching like old Mario brothers hacks and things like that. Kaizos. Yeah. Yeah. If we, if we get into like ROM hacks, we get into an entire different scene of, uh, than like the pirate game scene, which is funnier. No, but one thing I'm just thinking of here is the game Kira Kira star Knight. Hmm. I've heard the name. Yeah. I actually got to meet the guy who made it at a, took a game show several years ago. Mm-hmm. Just this incredibly energetic, very happy, <laughs> over-caffeinated guy by the name of Riki, hmm. um, who is better known as a manga artist of various um, erotic series. Types. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, I mean, he's published uh, um, published mangaka and very well-known and has apparently has a lot of connections across the entertainment and media industry to pull this one off. But he, had a, he uh, at some point, he and a friend came across a demo cartridge from the old Famicom system for mm-hmm. a game that nev- it may have been like a Super Mario Brothers spinoff or something like that, collecting coins, that, mm-hmm. never got, that never got the green light. And so it was broken, buggy, and probably too large for the cartridge it was on. Mm-hmm. And so he and his friend who was, um, who was a programmer got together and they figured out or they managed to fix the game, change all the graphics. And his, his friend was so good at this that they managed to do things like essentially 3D modeling on the little stars that the char- main character is collecting throughout the game Ugh. and fit all of this in to one old Famicom cartridge. That including like a nightmare. <laughs> uh, including um, like eight different level themes for each of the difficulty levels. So 16 tracks in all. Oh, heavens. And shoehorned it into the cartridge so hard, I don't think they had more than 
uh, whatever is a very small amount of memory left over for capacity. <laughs> and yeah, he was just showing it off at Tokyo Game Show 2015. He was just happy as could be. Um, Living the it's dream. also available on um, on smart pads and things like that. But um, on the second day, he or on the first day of the uh, of the public viewing, he was just yeah. very happy to have his old Famicom out there running the game. Yeah, like just to, and even better, he got it. Prof- he actually got it officially published. <laughs> I saw it in the stores a year later. That's, that's terrifying. I mean, it's a really nice little game. It's, it's oh, I just believe like, it. Yeah, it was just very impressive. And I remember writing about this thing for my Japan Demonium coverage years ago, and. I, made a list of every single 8-bit composer that he managed to call in to help him with this. And you had people who had done things for Gradius, Dig Dug, Seventh Dragon. Um, I can't remember what other... It was like a who's who of the 80s 8-bit music generation. <laughs> it was, like, ridiculous. Very uh... impressive. Ridiculous. Yeah, I'm looking at like the the I'm, I'm just looking at ROM sizes on Famicom games, uh, and like the the number is it's tiny. Like you're looking at a game that at best has to fit in like a megabyte. <laughs> yeah. Let's see. But yeah. Uh, so yeah, there's there's the bootleg game discussion that I had been uh, eager to have, and by that I mean mostly a monologue, but still, I got it out of my system. Thank you for giving me this opportunity, Crawl. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, I guess we can start going down the line of the comment section. Uh. Shaman asks, have you ever gotten so into an RPG that you tried to do some ludicrous challenge that involved beating it multiple times? I once beat Pokemon X with monotype teams for every type, and now I'm trying to fill out the support log for female Byleth in three houses. Oh my god. Well, related to that, um, Black 2, White 2 had the achievements system put in. (laughs) And, I mean, that's the only thing that kept me playing... For a while, I was just curious to see what combinations of party members I could make that would actually satisfy the various um, requirements and actually win. Mm-hmm. And so I ended up just experimenting with a whole lot of Pokemon that I had never actually touched before and had a pretty good time for about a month before I <laughs> just had, like, okay, enough of this. Yeah, my, my usual strategy with Pokemon is to just... Uh... Is specifically just to try to make teams out of, at the very least, primarily Pokemon I've never used, because I think it just makes the games more fun. Oh, I tend to do that too, but there's still a whole bunch that I never really considered, especially in Black 2 and White Mm -hmm. 2. Yeah. But, uh, let's see. Uh... See, have I ever like the most I can think of is like I absolutely have done full S link runs of Persona games, which usually involves playing it the first time normally and then the second time with 
with uh, a lot of patience and a bit of guidery, but you know, it is on some level a challenge run. But I, I typically, uh, typically, like if something is going to involve me playing through it, it's going the challenge itself is going to be confined to one run. <laughs> things that require more than one run to actually finish are not things I typically embark on. Then you probably shouldn't try Hero Must Die. That's different because it's not 30 hours on one run. <laughs> True. But, I mean, it's a, gun, it's a game that's completely designed on the concept of repeating over and over. Yeah. I believe that. I, I'm interested in that still. but yeah. I, I was happy to see that Severin actually enjoyed it as much as I did. Yeah, yeah. It was good to see some uh, positive feedback on that one. Though we had to have a discussion on whether or not it was a 3 or a 3.5. So, because he was kind of uncertain point, I'm like, just going by the parts, it's a 3 at most, but altogether the gestalt is certainly not average. So, I guess he took that one to heart. Let's see. What about you, Wills? Hmm. What were you talking about again? Yeah, I'm not surprised. Uh, the question was, uh, have you ever gotten someone to an RPG that you tried to do some ludicrous challenge that involved beating it multiple times? Uh, yes, Natural Doctrine. Not so much necessarily because I was super into it. You were super into it for a period, though. Yeah, and it was like, okay, part of these challenges are multiplayer. There's probably only going to be people playing that for like a week or two. So uh, a lot of it was to do that, although it did require me playing through the game again to beat it on a different difficulty. (laughs) Yeah, RPGs are not, unless they're designed around being replayed, they're not typically conducive to this idea, so like... Unless we're counting something like uh, trying to get the Dragon Quarter in Breath of Fire Dragon Quarter. Cloudy <laughs> uh, M3 uh, also adds to this question. What's the moment that makes you the most proud of your own determination in gaming? Either a trophy or simply beating a game on a certain difficulty or beating a game that you had zero interest in ever doing? Hmm. Hmm. I don't really think in those terms usually, so... Yeah, sure I don't really it. take pride in stuff. It's just sort of like, this was fun to do. <laughs> uh, I guess outside of this, like... It's not typically in RPGs for me, because it's like, I'll get really obsessive into, like, really hard action games. So it's like, oh yeah, I had a really good time and felt satisfied upon beating Metal Gear Rising on Revengeance difficulty, but... I mean, that's not an RPG. <laughs> mm-hmm. oh, I'm trying to think of any other ones I've really gotten into. Um, I mean, there's, there's tons I've replayed just for the heck of it, not necessarily to like... Oh, Dark Souls! Oh yeah, you played through that like five times. Yeah, <laughs> it gets really hard. 
<sighs> like the first time it the first time through it's just a matter of okay I need to increase my stats a lot and at the same time it may a bit in the next one and then it's kind of like diminishing returns from there until it's just like you got what you got and you kind of gotta use your skills to get through it's rough video games they're mm. hard they are mm-hmm speaking of which i've been playing through bloodstained this entire time and nice like oh oh great Uh uh-huh oh great oh no ack each and uh now you're dead oh no i mean i so yeah wheels yes hello hello have you played have you played bloodstained yes so um Okay, fun story here. Do you remember the two-headed dragon boss? Yes. Yes. Um, so, as it turns out, if you um, first of all, there's a spot behind its jaws that where you can hide and just start hitting it for a bit. Yes, I actually yeah. did that exact thing uh, when I played an early demo at PAX before the game came out, I remember. Yeah. Did it have a, a certain glitch involved in that? Probably, but I don't remember what it was. Well, you'd probably definitely remember this one because there's a like the last big attack that this dragon will do is both of its heads will just slam together and try to catch you. Nice. And I was hiding behind the jaws of the left hand head, and I'm not quite sure how this happened, but my character got bumped down two levels on the tower, <laughs> which this tower is um it has a kind of a corkscrew ramp going up it. So I was able to go back up the ramp behind the dragon. Interesting. And apparently the damage boxes, um, I mean the threat boxes for the the boss, are only on its jaws and tongue. So just touching it from behind doesn't hurt you. Hmm. And it has a a damage hitbox in the middle (laughs) that you can just start whacking at. Nice. And so, but the thing's still constantly moving, so I end up accidentally ahead of the hitbox for a bit and having to move backwards like crazy to avoid the jaws from catching up with me from the other direction. So I end up putting the putting on the boots, which I hadn't used for quite a while, and drop kicking the thing to death. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I'm not sure how this happened. Uh, I'm quite sure this is not how you're supposed to beat it. Hey, whatever works. But, but yeah, but yeah, I was basically just constantly um, slide kicking this thing in the balls. <laughs> and then, so about ten minutes after we started recording this, I managed to beat the boss that is completely not Lady Elizabeth Bathory in her bathtub. Yes, you do. Uh, I yeah. think her name is literally Bloodless for some reason. <laughs> You know, that, I was going to say, blood is certainly not the thing that she's lacking. But yeah, I, I went from there, and um, thankfully I thought to save before this, but I just started exploring to the right, and suddenly, oh, I'm, I'm at the next boss. How'd this happen? <laughs> oh, hi. Yeah. So, um, somehow beat him. Uh, actually, as it turns out, you can poison both of those bosses. Huh. Which, which was really helpful. I'm glad I... Uh, decided to actually try and make some of those special bullets. Nice. But yeah. 
So yeah, I, I poisoned the vampire and the dragon. And now I'm kind of lost in a, a region called the Hall of Termination, which is very cheerful. Huh. Oh, yeah. They, they just announced a randomizer for Bloodstained. Oh, cool. Oh, cool. I'll have to give that a messing with once that comes out. Oh, yeah, that's another thing I've been watching on YouTube is a randomizer for Link to the Past. Ooh. Oh, man. Have you ever seen this... <laughs> This will probably show up in YouTube recommendations for any LTTP randomizer. Have you ever seen the one that combines a randomizer for Super Metroid and Link to the Past? Not yet. Uh-oh. It's that a nightmare. Fun. You can get items for one in the other and have to swap between them to make progress <laughs> in either. Oh, my God. It's terrifying. <laughs> but, Yeah. Uh, so, you know, if you haven't seen that, recommend it. <laughs> but, yeah, it's it's nice to see that in an official capacity on Bloodstained, rather than fans having to slowly hack it in. Mm. Uh, that's supposed to come in at the same time as the second playable character, Zangetsu mode. Oh. So, that looks good. That looks fun. Uh, let's see. Uh, now probably for a question that I don't know that any of us is actually equipped to answer. Maybe wheels. Bring it on. What is the best Muso game out for current gen systems right now? Uh, Hyrule Warriors. I'm not surprised by that answer, but I don't keep my finger on the pulse. Um, it's, in my opinion, the very best Muso game, and I don't think I've seen one with maybe the same amount of resources put into it. Like Guess we'll find out if Phantom Strikers can be thrown up. There's just something about like the mission structure and just the way it plays that makes it like less monotonous than those games can usually be. Yeah, yeah, that's a that's kind of the thing that those are always fighting against. Right, I mean, even the other, like, Nintendo Muso in Fire Emblem Warriors is pretty straightforward in comparison. Yeah, yeah, that's 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 a Muso game. That yep. sure is Muso. You wander around, you take, uh, you take, uh, you have, like, a morale meter, I think. You take uh, towers, or forts, I guess. That's Muso. Yeah. Which is probably why I could never get into uh, Dragon Quest Heroes, because I went from Hyrule Warriors to that, and it was just like, well, this is this is just very, a Muso. This is very boring. <laughs> I am counting on uh, Persona Five, Ro- not Royal Strikers, to be more interesting than that by virtue of the fact that it's not structured as a giant battle. It's just that the battles are Muso styled. But the non-battles appear to be Persona dungeons. Well, that's pretty sweet. So mm-hmm. I'm interested in that one. Uh, otherwise, like most of these, just kind of bore me. So <laughs> I'm not a good source. Uh, the One Piece ones are also pretty good. I've heard things like that, but yeah. I don't trust them because I don't actually like One Piece. <laughs> uh, you're terrible. Uh, what do you want from me? I don't know. I don't like Oda's art style. What you want? 
Well, and, and the way I see it is, generally speaking, the more fantastical, like, the characters' abilities get, the more enjoyable they seem to be, like... Uh, which means that series that originally spawned what this whole saying, genre are the worst. So what you're saying is don't play Dynasty Warriors. I am saying that, yes. Which is also what most people were saying after Dynasty Warriors 9. Well, that's just because Dynasty Warriors 9 is really bad. Yeah, no, I've heard nothing but unkind things about Dynasty yeah. Warriors 9. Let's all just play Dynasty Warriors 1. The, comp- uh, the fighting uh, game. Oh, God, I... Ugh. And the Ugh. reason that Dynasty Warriors is always one letter ahead in English. It's <laughs> so weird. So is, so is uh, Warriors Orochi, by the way. Is it good or is it one number ahead in English? Uh, it is good, but also, yes, it's one number ahead in English. Okay, I don't know what the story behind that one. I, yeah, I have no idea either. I presume one of the like updates was labeled as a sequel in English when it wasn't in Japan. Something like that. But yeah, like <laughs> Dynasty Warriors is always funny to me. It's like Dynasty Warriors, Dynasty Warriors Two, a very different game, basically an entirely different game, different genre, and reflected in Japan by going from San Goku Muso to Shin San Goku Muso or whatever. Whereas uh, we just called it Dynasty Warriors Two. Warriors Orochi 3 Ultimate Muso Orochi 2 Ultimate in Japan Many questions Don't think any of them are getting answers You can probably play it's like Ryu from Ninja Gaiden in that one Yeah probably <laughs> It's also got an Atelier character in it as well Yeah Yeah. What's the Warriors Warriors? Yeah, that's Dynasty Warriors slash um, Samurai Warriors. Samurai Warriors slash a bunch of other things Koei Tecmo owns. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So, we are joined by the world's cutest co-host. Yay! As often. Yeah. And her favorite Muso involves knocking down all the blocks that her sister has put up. And so... (laughs) That's that's many child many a child's favorite Muso. Yes, and I just realized that that's what exactly what we need. We need a Muso that is toddler versus blo- um, like just um, wooden blocks. That also sounds like a possible Earth Defense Force Toy Story spinoff. That would be very funny. Yeah, I don't even have word. Okay, there's a lot of images going on in my mind now, so. I'm just going to file these away for a future uh, business proposal. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, <laughs> let's see. Uh, moving on. What are some of the best ROM hacks out there? What are hilarious wins fails of the ROM hacking community? Uh, I mean, the wins are... kind of have a part of that. Uh, yeah, I, we, co- we covered I, a I bit also... of that. I honestly thought we were covering that question a while back when I started talking about Zelda. Uh, yeah, yeah. There's there's a lot of like impressive ROM hacks. I, I was talking mostly about bootlegs, but ROM hacks are an interesting subject. I, my personal favorites will probably just always be translations because I want to play things. But uh, I, I've seen good ROM hacks, but I mean, I'm just generally not 
super the audience for them mm-hmm. because their usual modus operandi for every time I've ever seen them is what if we took a normal game and made it bastard hard? <laughs> Very and, much, yeah. I mean, that's pretty much every Mario Kaizo I've ever seen on video. Yeah, and some of those I, are funny. But I, I can appreciate watching other people play them, but not me. No. Yeah. Uh, as for, like, fails, like, I mostly wouldn't want to repeat most of the terrible things that I've seen, because it's just like, oh, this... You, shouldn't, you just shouldn't have made this. And then... I don't want to talk about like them. the retranslation of Chrono Trigger. That one sucks, but no, I wasn't <laughs> even going to go for that because that that like that's just a bad retranslation. Or any of the attempted retranslations of Final Fantasy VII. Oh, Do any of those even finish? I just remember the Matthias Car I mean, one. I mean, there was that one guy who d- he decided he wanted to drum up support on our forums years ago and. And then got really, really snippy when people started reacting in a positive, critical fashion. And and his uh, like his attempted mic drop as he stormed out, metaphorically speaking, was saying something about how uh, was like making a point that he had translated something as Rocket Village instead of Rocket Town. Yeah, take that. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And, and I'm thinking, okay, that may actually be literally a better um more accurate to the kanji involved but it kind of ignores the actual differences in terminology between japanese and english for determining town versus village (laughs) yeah it turns out those aren't one-to-one yeah because in japan those classifications are almost entirely based on land area and population whereas in english village automatically brings to mind like countryside and town automatically brings to mind more developed. Yeah, like you you need to bring you're trying to bring across the context. Yeah. Uh, Plus the fact that in English there's actually no limitation to actually putting the word town, city or village into the name of the municipality regardless of its actual size. Yeah, you can do whatever. As, no one can stop witness, you. As witness to several very optimistic little town or towns in Oklahoma with the word city in their name <laughs> where several of these would not actually be classifiable in Japanese as a community that's, uh, at, most, at most they might be classified as Hamlet that's, uh, that's the municipality equivalent of dress for the job you want yeah, yep, yep, yep and uh, I'm not even sure if there are any municipalities in Japan that actually use the Hamlet um, ending officially anymore i know some of them still have it in the name in one way or the other but yeah it's not part of their official classification yeah i mean the the most the most leeway you actually have in japanese is that if a if a um if a municipality can qualify for an upgrade in status it doesn't necessarily have to Mm. and once it has upgraded officially it can't downgrade even if it technically no longer qualifies. Yes. Um, that's why, for example, Aso City east of me is still classified as a city instead of a town. <laughs> so, And why Nishimura Village nearby does not classify as a city. <laughs> so, <laughs> actually, I think it still classifies, it would classify as a town. But yeah, town it, it would be a pretty, it would be on the larger side of town, I'd imagine. But. Yeah. Let's see. Yeah. 
but yeah, like but, but I'm, I'm, oh sorry, but just to continue on this, but those are like village and town in Japanese. Those are still suffixes to the name, yeah, not the name itself. Whereas in the English, you can have the actual the city of Midwest City, yeah, so. Raccoon City, yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, like just to just to look at like. Even just in the realm of FF7 retranslations, I remember I could never tell if this one existed or if someone was trolling, but it was someone like talking about how they were going to restore the original nuance, but also remove Ketchy entirely. Which was an, opti- an optimistic idea to begin with, but also an insane idea. Yeah. Did anyone ever try it for Final Fantasy VIII? Because that was a game that actually could have used a better translation. I think its translation is less infamously bad, and it has less of a fandom groundswell, so I don't know that I've ever seen it. Yeah, but its story, the plot is infamously bad, and a lot of that comes from issues with the translation. Yeah, I'm just saying that like it's tra- the translation itself is not infamously bad. Yeah. Uh. Whatever. <sighs> Whatever. That's a that's a that was an interesting uh, Legends of Localization article for anyone that hasn't read it, where it basically uh, Clyde Mandolin went and looked at every time that Squall says whatever uh, in the English version and saw what it was in Japanese, and almost always translating a different phrase as whatever. And you yeah, can. It, it, they made him more emo in English. Yeah, you can see individually why each why the you would justify uh, why you would justify calling each of them uh, why you would justify each of them as whatever. But when you do it consistently, it changes the tone of the character <laughs> a lot. Yeah. yeah. So. Oh, let me see. Uh, gonna say uh our good friend eric rpg wanted to jump in if that's okay with everyone sure okay okay however much we have left to talk about yeah well i think he had something he wanted to bring up anyway so uh let me just see if i can remember how to add people to these things please don't shut it off by accident please don't shut it off by accident. i don't think i have what it takes to do that since i'm not hosting the call You never know. Never underestimate your own ability to screw things up, unfortunately. Uh, Yeah. We also have one more Discord question that I wanted to get to. Or else it might be lost to time. Yeah. Uh, let's see. The the last plot EM question, I don't know if we have any answers for, because it was other than Legend of Legacy and Alliance Alive. Are there any saga-esque games that aren't officially saga games, or should I say any other good saga-esque games? There just aren't many that play like saga. Yeah, that's a very specific formula with a very specific set of mechanics that nobody else has really tried to copy much. Yeah. I mean, I guess you could say Legend of Mana. 
Yeah, but that's also a Kawazu game. But yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, um, I could think maybe uh, Mystic Arc or uh, the Seventh Saga or Elnard. Yeah, well, if Seventh Saga actually, hadn't been completely butchered. Yeah. Also, higher. Uh, yeah, which is why I mentioned Elnard. Yeah, Elnard's probably a better which choice. It's got a fan translation, and I think Seventh Saga had like a rebalancing patch to make it more like the original Elnard release. Yeah, so you have your pick of the litter about if you want to keep the old translation, but a game that isn't broken. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, uh, I was thinking. Yeah, there's like I remember just just as like a conclusion to this short little sidetrack that there was a question, and I believe it was a Kotaku interview with Akitoshi Kawazu asking about how you know there was Legend of Legacy and Alliance Alive, and you know a few other like you know those as like saga style RPGs, and how he uh, and if he felt that. Uh, there would be no longer a need for more Saga-style games. And he was basically like, if other people are going to actually start making these kinds of games, like, sure, I'll stop, because I just I just want to play these kinds of games because no one else <laughs> makes them. But as far as I can tell, there just aren't that many of them, so I will keep making them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, that sounds very much like him, yes. Yeah. Uh, so, um... But yeah, a game with a like non-level based experience or character development, um, spontaneous ability learning and things like that. Just it's not you're not going to find it very often. Yeah, it would be really inadvisable to put them into other types of games because it just doesn't work. Like you need to build your entire system around these concepts. So. Yeah, uh, you're as host as we are. Uh, I was going to mm-hmm. say. So, was there something I mean, you wanted? Hmm? I was going to say, eventually I'm going to figure out how to use RPG Maker and actually make my own. But maybe. <laughs> Probably not. It's worth, it's worth dreaming, though. Yeah. So, was there something you wanted to discuss, Eric? Yeah. Um, I just want to talk about some of the games I've been playing. Mm hmm. I got through Yakuza 3 remastered. Ah, now I'm working on oh, no. 4. What? <laughs> Nothing. Good hey. But uh, I'm almost done with 4. I'm on the Kiryu's chapter 4. Okay, yeah, you're real close to done. Because <laughs> yeah, the finale is like only one chapter, I think. Yeah. 4 is, four is really good. Uh, I like, uh... The revelations were hilarious, but I think they capped out at the first revelation for four with the perv ninja. Yeah, I really just love the concept of the revelations where it's just like a weird, like, here you just see something and then furiously blogs it on his cell phone to an audience of seemingly no one. And if you're playing four, it's like, Timmy <laughs> Mira just pulls out his uh, sketchbook and oh uh, yeah, and, and if you're Sajima, he does a wood carving. <laughs> oh yeah, that animation's amazing. Because he doesn't have a phone. Yeah, got to keep off the grid. He's a criminal. But yeah, but yeah, like four is really good. I think five probably is trying to split its attention a little too much, but. Mm. 
the real tragedy of five, the real thing that's going to be great about five is when the, if they ever port it to PC, when people start uh, giving Haruka the animation sets of the fighters. Mm. Because in her chapter, she just engages in like dance battles, but I'm sure that some insane person can rig up her model to be able to do like Kiryu's moves and completely destroy a large Yakuza man. Yeah, but uh, other than that, um, before I got hit with a bunch of view code, because uh, <laughs> Game Again happens. Um, anyways, sure. uh, I was I was playing Horizon Zero Dawn for a bit, and I gotta Yay. say, I'm kind of unimpressed. What? <laughs> yeah. I mean, the story is interesting enough that I keep playing, but I think normal's completely unbalanced, and I think they meant to make it the hard difficulty. Because I feel like I'm doing too little damage and taking way too much. And there's no upgrade path, at, at least at present. So I feel like I'm just constantly stuck in a rut of like being getting my ass kicked. Not being able to do the same. And the game also feels extremely dated. Hmm. Even for when it was released. Like, yeah, like uh, I feel like I'm t- when I talk to an NPC, it just feels like I'm back in the days of coder and when the dialogue trees and the way people talk and the really shitty voice acting that goes with it. It was a polarizing game when it and came out. So. That there's like not to mention that there's like it has the it has the. Like like sick. I guess it's the sixth generation, the PS3 and the Xbox 360 generation um, problem of where there's oversaturation of specific colors like grays and browns and stuff like that. I feel like it's underwhelming. It's like people were like giving this game praises, and I feel like it's more of a seven. Uh, it's nah, it's it, flawed. You have to play all the way through. Trust me. And it's, no, 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 and people are overrated. No, 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 no. Okay, first <laughs> of all, the story is very good. You have to play all the way through it before you, you make that kind of judgment. And the combat does get a lot better. I know. In early on, it gets it's pretty rough. I know, and it has a lot of conventions and, of open yeah. world games, which I already don't like. So. Well, I don't like them either, and I also completely ignored them. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, maybe I can't decide which side missions are worth doing because none of them experience don't do any of them. <laughs> if yeah, if you need experience, I would just uh, like grind fighting some some giant dinosaur oh. robots. About all the advice I so, give. Should I ratchet my difficulty easier instead of like if, super easy? Because super easy is too easy. <laughs> yeah, if if you're not enjoying it, I would say yeah. But I mean, I think there's, uh, I don't know, I I think I I think I had it in a hard, and I may have ratcheted it down a bit. But there are some interest interest casies to the combat worth learning like you know diff- different spots to hit hit enemies and eventually get more arrow more arrow types and stuff like that and things do get a little easier so I've been leveling stealth 
I don't know if that's working out so well. It's good. Um, I can't remember if, like, the different arrow types or something. I don't think there's something in, like, the upgrade tree. I think it's the stuff that you... Yeah, I haven't found explosive arrows yet. (laughs) Those are good. And then there's eventually, like, the ridiculous... This ridiculous arrow type that like breaks lightning parts. arrows. Not not even the lightning arrows. Those are good. I forget what exactly they're called, but it breaks off parts of the robots, which mm-hmm. is ridiculously like metal grinding cutting ro- arrows. But like you shoot it and then it just chops Something stuff like off. That, yeah. But yeah, it it gets better, especially story wise. And once you get further in, I don't, I don't you, know when I'll get back to it, but yeah. it's something to keep in mind. Yeah, I would say keep with it, and definitely my advice is don't waste your time with a lot of the side stuff, because for me, what made that game great, in my opinion, was well, the, the the story and the combat. So. A lot of the, the side missions story, in Breath of the Wild say. pretty shitty too, because yeah. they have shitty rewards. No, so just yeah. do, I just stuck to the shrines when I played that. Yeah, and it's it's weird because it's it's like yeah. it as a, like a like more linear game. It's very good. Just yeah, which is why I'm wondering why they didn't just do that. Because uh, you remember, you got to remember the market we're talking about here, where you got to remember Sony's individual mandates. Yes, because. <laughs> uh, mm. I'm trying to think of a game they've published. So, in the well, past it's coming to PC, that and mods will probably be recreated to like cut that fat out. <laughs> so, but yeah, now that I think about it, has Sony published a single game this generation that is not open world in some fashion? Uh, mm. I, I, I wouldn't. Uh, this last Ratchet and Clank count as this year? Yeah, Ratchet, Ratchet Clank. Clank is not open world. And, and Spider, well, Spider-Man. Spider-Man is absolutely open world. <laughs> uh, let's see. God of War is at least semi-open world. It's a linear game, but it has that like those big lake sections. Uh, you've got Infamous. You've got Ghost of Tsushima, which isn't out yet, but cl- appears to be open world. Uh, yeah, that's yeah. just kind of the Sony mold at this point, and I yeah. think that when you decide, like, the only thing that gets out of it are things that are like vaguely shootery, because Ratchet and Clank is like platformer shooter. Killzone Shadowfall is the other one I can think of, and that's just and that's a shooter. So yeah. I think that that was the precursor Sony's... to the game we're talking about. <laughs> yep, I think Sony's modus like well, current. Well, like, you, oh, you said this. Generation does Tokyo does Tokyo Jungle count? No, because that was a PS3 game. Mm. I think came out in like 2012. Yeah, I was going to bring up yeah. Last of Us, but that doesn't really count. Yeah, but it, I think it came out when the PS4 was out, so maybe it, wasn't, it counts. It was not. Mm. I'm almost certain of this. Yeah. I'm going to double check to make sure that I'm not uh, feeding you a line of BS. But yeah. but I mean that that was really my impression playing that game, which I really loved, was. Uh, I almost forgot that it was an open world game because I didn't like wander off the beaten path at all. Uh, yeah, Japan. Uh, in Japan, it came out in June of 2012, so about a year and a half before the PS4. Mm. Okay. Yeah, like this, which isn't to say that I, you know, I, I'm not like necessarily advocating that. Well, I hope the next 
the eventual sequel is not open world because I think it actually could be really cool open world. Just that this one... The open world is not the appeal. Right. And especially... Like oh, oh, you did. the tra- oh, traversal abilities you have or lack thereof, it just. I it, think it. I do like the quick uh, creation of arrows when you're like cycling through the menu. That is sweet. I just, I just think that like it's open world, especially coming out the same year as freaking Breath of the Wild. Yeah, uh, like it was really, <laughs> it was really poisoned by being positioned as like the PS4's answer to Breath of the Wild, and that I, is not. I the think game I would like is. a lot more though if I could like climb over ledges and stuff. Yeah, ex- your character ex- can't yeah. <laughs> preach into the choir, man. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Like it's like was... it makes so much sense for her to climb over a ledge, and she can't do it because of lack of foresight. Yeah, but uh, it's it's. It gets better the later on. Like, do I get better spears? Cool. Yes, yes, you do. Okay. So, did we actually get to the for um to the uh, Discord question? No, no, I was gonna. Do I have that one more there, before so. I go. Sure. I'm kind of tired. Yeah, uh, but I want to know your thoughts on um the Persona Five Royal stuff. The uh, the removal of the. Or the attempted removal of the homophobic jokes. Well, they probably toned it down. They can't remove it. Yeah, that's why I said attempted. <laughs> but, yeah. But like, uh, I mean, it's a step in the right direction at the very least. I mean, <laughs> I want to know if you consider it censorship. And then I also wanted to know, like, what you feel about the Persona team at large and how they kind of have a history of doing this wrong-headed nonsense uh my answers to those would be censorship is when a government does it to you this is self-editing uh and that i mean they're middle eight well it's more like self-editing per proxy because the localization is too the localization is doing it but it's it's authorized it's people that like the people that are the people being edited in this case know what is happening and are not being and like the thing that bothers me the most is that some people are trying they're of course they're being stupid but they're trying to argue arthurial intent and that just makes you look like an asshole that makes you sound like you know the script better than the writers that are writing it are and there's also a broader question of like who's the author yeah yeah and um if you really think about those like it, it it's a scene in the game that has nothing to do with the narrative because if it did, they would commentate it on it later in the game, but yeah, they don't. So it's just the writers being gross. Yeah, if like I, make it, if you make a joke about someone's implied homophobia and then getting ruined for it, then it's not, it's bad comedy because you're throwing gay people under the bus because you're making them look bad, and then you're making yeah. Ryuji look bad because the way he reacts to them. Yeah, like I'm, I'm happier for that just because, like, it honestly doesn't even fit Ryuji's character that well. But I, I don't even think he's a homophobic person, and it's he never reads one written. in any other context. So yeah, I mean, but, they were clearly. Yeah, I'm, I'm guessing that somebody he was decided to pull out a Japanese humor trope, and it fell flat really bad because it's twenty or thirty years out of date. Yeah, like my response to like why they keep doing that is because they're like. Probably forty to fifty something Japanese yeah, dudes. Like, let's go back to Persona Four and uh, like the fat shaming of the Hanako character. 
Yeah, and like then, it's and then Persona Four dancing all night with the oh, man, I didn't even bother finishing that. I did not finish Persona Four dancing all night. So, but I don't even think that was written by the same people. So that's a different question. But that comes into the case of just like they're forty to and fifty. How they something. treated Erica and yeah, Catherine. yeah, I know. And, and I I still have yet to play the Rin route and full body because I only just bought full body during Christmas sale. Yeah, like my my. Logical response to all of this is they're 40 to 50 something Japanese dudes, and I kind of expect the uh, speed at which these tropes will evaporate from these games to be the same speed that, like, a mountain erodes. Like, yeah, they removed Hoshino <laughs> from the directors of uh, for Persona 4 Royal, but apparently the new director didn't really do anything to redress those problems. He just. Well, I mean, Hoshino was not removed per se, he was assigned to another project and like Royal was not supposed to be at least in Japan it was not supposed to be like a complete re change up it was supposed to be here's a different take on the game that's still mostly the same so I'm not but surprised I wonder if like going forward um, they're going to communicate with the localization branch more and they're going to get writers that won't do that <laughs> it's possible that they will both because maybe in time for the switch version it's possible. Not. It's, they're never going to edit Persona Five enough to fix this. The way I would describe it is: I think it's possible that they will be more sensitive in the future. Just on the back of, it seems that the Yakuza localization producer is in charge of Persona in this case, and there is history of him successfully explaining to the Yakuza dev team, "Hey, some of the stuff you like, some of these like Okama jokes in." Uh, yeah, because the three are really not good. Like, maybe, like, just stop doing those, and it reached the point where they took them out of the Japanese version. Mm. So, I think that there might be hope for future games to avoid those pitfalls if they're because it is becoming a franchise they care about more globally, as well as the fact that, like, they need to care about it more globally by virtue of the fact that Persona 5 Royal underperformed. Mm-hmm. So, so what, do you, what do you do if the localization team actually adds in an insulting element that was not a part of the original though well, I don't know how often that actually happens it, it happens uh, but... the one time I can really think of is in Metal Saga back oh, in the PlayStation no. 2 period mm. where you, you had a character whose name was literally just Buck Forrest because he was named for his buck teeth mm. and yeah. it's very obviously supposed to be a parody of the big uh, buck-toothed um, sleazeball-type character from Tatsunoko anime. Because, yeah. you know, there's like that in every single season that uh, they did. I was going to, uh, like, suggest yeah. Tengai Makio. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they're uh, referencing the same thing. But. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, both video game series are referencing Tatsunoko in this case because they've been doing this since the 60s. Um, but um, the problem being that in the English translation of Metal Saga... The same character was, I can't remember the exact name, but it was definitely a, um, like a comedically oh. awful Arab-style name. Ooh. Yes. Oh, I remember like what you're referring to now. Brother. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, so in that case... 2005, they... and it was time. It was time to be very offensive. Uh, oh, yes, it was a very, um, I mean, they managed to change a character who was supposed to be just a kind of a goofy sleazeball and changed him into an Islamophobic character or, yeah. ew, Islam- or object of Islamophobia. Yeah. Like the, yeah. the, the, the char- they turned the caricature into something that is 
it was not intended. Uh, one thing I wanted to know is like how is how is the Japanese audience react to these things? They don't know about it and they don't care. Mm. Like the LGTB community in there is, too, I guess, too small. Maybe I, I would imagine. Oh, oh, you, mean for, oh I, you mean for the more modern stuff? Um, yeah. Um, for the most part, a lot of them just don't. You're either not paying attention to it, or it's. It's part of a tropism that's been embedded in anime and manga for 20 to 30 years at this point, and everyone just learns to ignore it. Like I, 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 I do have to compliment AI, uh, which I still have yet to play, the Somnium Files, mm -hmm. for being pro-LGBT. Yeah, you're starting to see that more in certain more uh, auteur-led uh, projects. Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, it's also hard to quantify exactly what counts as homophobia in Japan because, I mean, we're also talking about a country that's had a manga with a identifiably trans major character for the last 50 years or 40 years. Says? Kochikame. Mm. Well, yeah, I mean, yes, it, the character is played for laughs. It has been played like that since the 80s even, but the character ha was openly trans for... The um like up for most decades. of the, yeah, I feel like decades. Yeah, I feel like One Piece, the Zyvonikov and uh, Bob from Fairy Tale are, are like kind of walk the thin line of being problematic, but not really problematic yeah. in the fact that the way they look, but not problematic in the way other characters treat them. And yeah, I mean, there's also there's also the situation where there's never been a strong social, cultural, or religious movement to completely destroy the lifestyle over here yeah that's... um as i as i recall being gay was made illegal in this country for all of seven years during the meiji period when they were trying out new laws based on germany and britain to see how it would best fit with the new style of government they were trying mm. yeah and they they just just got rid of the anti-sodomy legislation after seven years or so it's like what's I mean, the point dudes <laughs> yeah uh, yeah like it's it's hard to approach these when your context is just American because, like, you can see certain things that's like this is going to be offensive regardless. But at the same time, you also run into things where it's like, but there's also a lot of history we don't actually have a lot of grounding for, so you run into this and, like cultural criticism is hard. <laughs> and at this point, Americans are finally waking up to exactly how much of American culture and history is offensive. <laughs> yeah. In a in a way that is quite unique to that continent. But, yeah. Uh, but, yeah. Okay. So we're, uh, uh, yeah. It's 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 a fraud subject. It's a fraud subject. But I think I'm glad to see positive motion. Uh, but you know, I don't expect it to evaporate all at once. It's going to be. Slow and steady. Well, hopefully steady. Well, that's it's all I really slow. have to say, and I gotta get to sleep. But before huh? I go, I just want to mention that the demo for Final Fantasy VII Remake is out. Yeah. And I picked those up Raging Loop for, for 20 bucks at GameStop. So there's a deal if you're interested in visual novels. Nice. It's one of the better ones. And um, I guess I could promote my Patreon. Promote your Patreon? I think you also have a podcast. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to give kudos to Wheels for being a patron. 
No problem, sir. But uh, you can go on my Twitter account at Archipg. It's in my profile. Drop me as little as a dollar from her on. That would help out. Mm. With that, I'm out of here. Okay. See you later. Yes, Thanks for having me. Always fun. Mm. So, let's uh, close out with this last Discord question. Uh, what RPGs with obscure, complicated, or exploitable gameplay systems are your favorites? Ah, hello, sir. It's my my question. It's also my question. I feel like say, how is, many different regularly mentioned games are going to come up in this conversation? Oh, yeah. Oh, Let me that. tell you about Star Ocean Two. <laughs> uh, you go first, Wheels. Um, Let's talk about natural doctrine. <laughs> Speaking of twenty minutes ago, yes. Let's talk about a game where you have to manipulate turn order. And also not let a single one of your characters die <laughs> in a strategy <laughs> RPG. It's nice yeah. to want things. Yes. Uh, I I really enjoyed this game, obviously. And I, what I enjoyed the most, I think, was going on the multiplayer with having had the game prior to its official release for review. And completely destroying everyone because I knew... <laughs> How to manipulate the turn order, <laughs> and uh, most people did not, and so I got to my. I think he needed like a hundred victories online to get that uh, trophy, which I did. Stand up to um, the victory. The co-op also counted, so some of them are co-op. So I. They're not all just your victory. They're not just all me completely trouncing people. But yeah, the game had this whole weird mechanic which was very confusing, and then once you realize what's going on, it's like, aha! Where whenever a character uses specific actions like attacking the enemy, like nearby characters get to get like a quote-unquote bonus turn to do stuff. The trick... The trick to the whole thing, and once you realize this, you can like break the game apart, is if you move a character during that bonus turn, before they've had their actual turn, it uses up their turn. So you have to wait. It's basically like this cascading thing where you move one character, don't move the other ones that get activated, and then move the next character, and then anyone who's already acted you then use, and so on and so forth. And you kind of just break the game open from there. And it's obviously a little more complicated than that based on, you know, where the enemies are and how how different things go. But that's that's pretty much the gist of it. Mm. And, and uh, now, now I'm thinking before. Oh, yeah. Oh, I was just going to say, and eventually one of the late game abilities is it refreshes all your characters' turns. So once you have that, you just uh, completely like destroy uh, all balance in the game. As you do. Yep. Well, I mean, the first thing I thought of again was Beyond the Labyrinth. Mm. Try Yes. And in that game, of course, it's, uh, I mean... It's basically rock, paper, scissors for colors for the basic <laughs> system. But it's things like anytime you do damage with a um, 
with the right opposing element. Like if you hit something red that's red with a blue element, um, the damage will go up into the air, and then the next red element character who uses it gets that back as health. Hmm. Which is fun. But there's also um, the uh, girl that you're escorting through most of the game has a meter that charges up, and um, whenever it gets to her turn every 50 turns or 50 count, she just zaps stuff based on how much power has been stocked. Huh. So, um, and all of your characters have either an additive um, attribute or a multiplicative attribute that affects how much power gets added to her thing. So, um, and of course there are items that can change color or um, um, or quality in the middle of the game or in the middle of a fight. So, by the time you hit the final boss, you should have stocked up a lot of these items. A lot of these items. And um, between that and a shielding mechanic that lets you take characters out of turn order temporarily and then put them back in whenever you want. Huh. Um, yeah, it's really fun to just smash the final boss to pieces once you realize exactly... Um, once you actually get to the point where you realize that, hey, there are no more battles after this. I've got 30 of these items. <laughs> what am I waiting for? It's like, okay, so... Um, okay, if I hit him right... Okay, if I have the next three guys hit him while he's green, I'm going to just keep switching them to red as they go, and then the last guy's going to be changed to green, so he just sucks it all up. And then change the pluses and min- pluses and time signs around, and suddenly the girl has about 10,000 points of damage ready to dole out as soon as it's her turn. It's fun. So, yeah. So, yeah. So, yeah. That's very trying. <laughs> and it's it's like the most it's the most convoluted simple system I've ever seen. Because, I mean, there, That's there also is... also very trying. There is no equipment. Um, there are no skills. There is, I mean, there's technically uh, a sort of advancement tree, but it's basically, okay, do I increase the attack power or increase health? And that's about it. So. But it's like the deepest, simple system I have ever played in the game. <laughs> and now I get to talk about Star Ocean 2 for 10 minutes. Uh, try to yeah i'll try to bit. i'll try to dial it back mm-hmm. uh but no i just appreciate uh any game where you can where the thing locking you from getting to the best stuff is less progress and more understanding <laughs> and that's very much the case of star ocean 2 if you know how it works and where things are you can very quickly reach a lot of stuff that is viable for the entire game some of it is just, like, a reward for, like, just trying anything you can, like the mischief item or the treasure chest item. But mm-hmm. some of it is just, like, oh, this... If you just know about, like, oh, you go... If you customize this weapon that you can get early on a few times, it's the best sword in the game, that sort of stuff. But then there's also just, like, rewards for planning your build around making certain kinds of characters, like, 
using skill points wisely, using, like, understanding how specializing everyone into certain skills makes those skills better and allows you to do more crazy things with them. It's a very complicated system, but it's not as opaque as I just made it sound. (laughs) In conclusion, the funniest way to break the game is to pickpocket a mischief from the final boss's daughter and wait for it to deposit a counterfeit medal in your... uh, inventory and then make all of your make every party member you have specialize in duplication and start mass producing counterfeit metals nice because what a counterfeit metal does in that game is that it, any character it's used on who is less than one, level 100 uh, will get uh, if you use it on a character they the experience they need to reach the next level is reduced to one. Oh, nice so, the mischief is an item you can pickpocket that every so often it just spits a random item out of a pool into your inventory for as long as you possess it. And so, one of those items is the counterfeit metal. So, like, you could eventually just wait for it, and, like, it's every, like, uh-huh. it's some random number of steps, every X number of steps. It will spit things into your inventory, but it has a fairly large pool of items it can pull from. So you if you want to be efficient about it, you give everyone enough skill in counterfeiting that they learn that they create uh, that you get the super skill forgery, which allows you to duplicate items. And then you can just duplicate those on mass. And uh, that allows you to get to level 100 about five hours in. It's uh, it's a choice. But the game is full of stuff like that. The other one that I mentioned that you get by pickpocketing the treasure chest is another item that's like gimmick is that it's pulling items from a large selection of possible items. Uh, one of which is uh, like some of the possible if you save before opening it you can you know of course save scum to get good items and several of the items are like end game level equipment uh, for multiple characters and it's like you can you can have the treasure chest within three hours of starting the game it's a very silly game no one else is a very silly trace game oh. are you about to say Resident of Fate yep I knew that that was going to come up in the discussion as soon as I saw the question. <laughs> yeah. Listen, I don't think we can describe this any better than, like, go look up what an ultimate gun in Resident of Fate looks like. Yeah. Because it looks like someone is playing a prank on you. Yeah, and like, <laughs> trying, to, trying to describe the battle system just probably confuses people more, because I know it confused the hell out of me. The game trying to describe its battle system. Yeah. You have it's to. A very difficult game. You have to create paths for your characters to run across and first shoot enemies with machine guns and then shoot them with handguns. But also sometimes throw grenades at them because you need yes. to. Because your, bal- your level, your cu- actual level is a cumulative. Uh, amount of levels you have with each type of weapon, so you actually want to be swapping between weapons to increase your total level. God damn, this game is hard to explain. 
Yeah. Uh, just just play it. Yeah. Put the remaster on Switch. Try it. Um, once you hmm. once you start playing it, it all kind of starts to click, and it's like, oh, okay. But pretty much anything made by Triace is a good example for this question. Yeah, sure. But how about a bad example of something? Because, I mean, he specific in the next bit, he specifically mentions like Final Fantasy VIII's junction system, and if there are any other games like that. I can't think of any other games that use the junction system, although I think that some of the ideas he has about taking it further might actually help fix it. Just the ability to buy spells would actually probably help FF8 a lot. Yeah. Well, that's <laughs> and like an effective limit on how many you can put into one function of the um, stat boost just yeah. to make sure that you have some spells left over to use instead of weakening yourself every time you cast a spell. Yeah, or even just having the ability to like carry more than a hundred of a spell and just limiting it to a hundred, which you would still keep the FF eight concept. Well, yeah, but yeah. yeah. But I was thinking on for the other aspect of it, the junction system where you're attaching one or more entities to your uh, party member for stat boosts or for abilities and things. Mm-hmm. And I do know a game that uses that, or a series that uses that si- sort of system, and that's Unchained Blades. Oh, that's unfortunate. <laughs> yes, um, which, I mean, it could have been better, it most certainly could have been better done. But yeah, like uh, Did you guys ever play either, um, the first one? Briefly. Briefly? Do you remember how it went? No. <laughs> well, basically, so um, occasionally you would have the chance to unchain, um, to have a, a, one of your characters unchain a, an enemy in the dungeon and make it their personal follower. And each character had a ex- eventually expanding number of slots that they could use to attach followers to them. And each follower had up to between one and three or four elemental signs attached to them, sometimes multiply. Um, and all of the characters' abilities required certain amounts of each element sign to access properly. Hmm. So, um, so think of it like tapping um, land cards in Magic the Gathering or something for mana tapping, mm. that kind of thing. So, um, like in order to access a better healing spell, you might need two separate followers with the light um, anima and one or two other things all together on one character for her to use her healing spell. So... The problem being that there are, I can't remember the exact number, something like 30 anima types. Oh, jeez. Yeah. I mean, it was really ridiculous. I mean, it wasn't just the standard, like, six to eight um, magical elements. You had things for different, like, body types or, um, like, species types, like reptile. Um, It's like scales, fur, claws, fangs, feathers. All sorts of, pretty much anything you could think of, mm. yeah. And to add to it, they um, they had a secondary advancement system that looked like the sphere grid a bit. Was not like the sphere grid <laughs> because first of all, you only gained like two points to put into it for every level up. Plus, you got two points for any character that you chose to talk to in a brief section that happened maybe once or twice per dungeon. Very limited. Oh, boy. Yeah. So, uh, and the big problem being that 
I mean, you needed one point to um, open up each new spot on this grid, but you didn't necessarily need all of the abilities that you had to get. So, like, each character could use up to two or three different types of weapons, and for the sake of sanity, you probably wanted to focus on just one, but the game still forced you to open up abilities for the other weapon types. So. Yeah. Fun. So, lots, lots of awful things in that, in that series. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Before we get in, even get into the fact that the games were definitely designed by fans of wizardry for fans of wizardry. Ugh. Ugh. Yeah. So, yeah, the dungeons were big. And I think I described it as like a 10-hour story stuck in a 90-hour game. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, the story, for the second game, the story was interesting while it lasted. But it, yeah, but it lasted way too long. The story did not. As wizardly, wizardry clones tend to do. <sighs> so, yeah. <clears throat> yes. Wizardry. But I think that runs us out of questions. Pretty much, yes. And we all just tired, and it sounds like the cutest co-host is also tired. <laughs> well, the cutest, the cutest co-host in the world is currently getting dressed up for the Hina Festival, mm. which is today, the, the little girls' festival, doll festival. And so she has her own little uh, fake kimono onesie oh. that she's currently getting dressed in. It is adorable. <laughs> yeah. This is after uh, crawling after the computer all over the place. <laughs> I've mostly been lifting the computer up with one hand and playing with her with the other hand. <laughs> Multitasking. Yeah. Oh, it helps when you guys are just talking about games I have no idea what you're discussing. <laughs> it just allows place. me to it's focus on the important things for a bit. Yeah. yeah. Exactly, yes. Mm-hmm. I guess... Otherwise, though, we should probably wrap it up. All right. yes. Send us questions in the usual place. Should uh, say the comment section or the Discord, ideally. Yes. Yes. Uh, otherwise, uh, not much else to say. Yep. See ya. Peace out. See ya, space cowboy.